Let us pray together. Dear God, this morning we thank you again for your Son, Jesus Christ, the one who came to lead us on this journey from the outer courtyards into your Holy of Holies, into your presence where we may be transformed. And we pray for that to happen for each of us and for us as a community in some new way this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. I'd like to spend some time with you this morning thinking about what it means to be given access to God or to be deprived of of it. And to help us to begin to think about this theme, to connect with it a little bit, I invite each of us simply to remember a time in our own lives when we were granted special access to some restricted area or allowed backstage, perhaps, to see some very famous person. How did that feel? When I was a kid and my family lived in Jerusalem, one of my favorite things was going to Bethlehem every Christmas Eve. And since access was tightly restricted by Israeli troops, my parents needed to apply for a very special permit every year. And this permit, once we had it, allowed us to get through checkpoint after checkpoint after checkpoint and to be able to make our annual pilgrimage to Shepherd's Field and to Manger Square. In a similar way, the New Testament talks about our having new and fresh access to God through Jesus Christ. Two weeks ago, perhaps you remember in 1 Peter 3, we heard that Jesus went all the way to the cross to bring us to God. And in Ephesians 2, we hear how Jesus has torn down all the dividing walls so that we might have access to God. Now, all of this is a little abstract for us sitting here in the 21st century. And so I think we're going to need to go on a little temple tour this morning. Will you please join me? In order to understand what these folks are talking about, tearing down these dividing walls. What is this? Well, let's go find out. And I invite you to turn to the diagram of the temple in your bulletin this morning. First, a little bit of background. A thousand years before Jesus, the first temple was planned by King David and then constructed by his son, King Solomon. That was a thousand years before Jesus. Five centuries before Jesus, the second temple 
excuse me, five centuries before Jesus, this first temple was destroyed, torn down, burned, and looted by the invading Babylonian imperial troops who came and destroyed Jerusalem. And then 70 years later, the second temple was built by Zerubbabel and the Jews who returned from their exile in Babylon. And during Jesus' time, Herod the Great, the Roman Empire's puppet king, lavishly renovates this second temple and doubles the size of the surrounding temple mount. Now, just think about that a little bit. The Romans' puppet king lavishly renovates the temple and expands the temple mount. Very interesting. And this is the temple that Jesus visits in our story today that Brisa read for us. And it is the one that we see right in front of us in our bulletin. Now, for Jews, of course, the temple is the sacred center of their universe. It's the very place where heaven and earth meet. It is called the house of God. The bait, the house of God. And by Jesus' time, a very definite architectural theology has established in stone walls who can have access to God and who cannot. If you follow the numbers on your picture there, you can see that the temple complex is divided into a series of walled-in courtyards that become ever more sacred and restricted as we move toward the center, toward the Holy of Holies. Centuries before Jesus... Prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah had envisioned the temple would be a house of prayer. A house of prayer for all the nations. A holy place where the alien and the orphan and the widow might all have free access to God. And be able to experience communion with their Creator. But instead, by Jesus' time, God's house has become a vast purity system that excludes those who are deemed unworthy or unclean or, by the way, who are too poor to participate. Pilgrims who are non-Jews Pilgrims who are disabled, who are menstruating, who are of illegitimate birth, who are working in unclean professions, shepherds, by the way, are all banned from all but the outermost courtyards in this picture that you're looking at and deprived of access to God's forgiveness Mercy and love. 
So starting at one in your insert, let's imagine going up the Temple Mount through the double gate that is right in front of us. You know, in Scripture, we often hear about going up to up the mountain to the house of the Lord, don't we? Well, now we can begin to understand what the psalmist is talking about. After climbing the stairs and walking out from underneath that long-roofed portico overhead, we suddenly find ourselves at two out in the wide open and gazing out across the vast 34-acre Temple Mount as large as 25 football fields. And just like Jesus' disciples, we too are blown away by the size of these stones. Holy cow, 40 feet long, some of them are. 40 feet long stones in the wall. And our eyes are drawn like a magnet to the 15-story high limestone temple rising up ahead of us. And like the psalmist, we want to shout out, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord! We now walk through one of the Hulda gates, and at three, enter the court of the Gentiles. But instead of finding a holy space of prayer for all the nations, we find instead a crowded marketplace. At the tables of money changers, pilgrims are busy exchanging their Roman coins for temple shekels. And other people are then using these temple shekels to purchase their animals for sacrifice. And it's right in the midst of this commotion, this rowdy scene, that Jesus today turns over the tables and sends all the doves flying. And all week I've been hearing Adele in the back of my mind singing, turning tables. Maybe some of you know that song. It's exactly here, in the court of the temple, in the court of the Gentiles, that Jesus cries out that the temple is meant to be God's house of prayer for all the nations. Tell me, dear friends, is Jesus really cleansing the temple, as we often say? Is that what he's doing? Or is he opening space, clearing space for those who have long been crowded out and cut off from access with God? Clearing space for Gentiles like me and like you. Is it any accident that after the dust settles, that in Matthew 21, we hear that the blind and the lame people long excluded from the inner courts of the temple come to be, come to be healed suddenly by Jesus? I don't think so. 
Jesus is turning upside down a religious system whose primary purpose has become to restrict rather than to encourage people's access to God. He's turning this system upside down. All right, let's finish our tour. From the court of the Gentiles, we now pass through another dividing wall. Wall after wall after wall, you may notice. And we head toward number four, which puts us right in front of the beautiful gate. And at this gate to the side or overhead, there is a sign threatening death to all Gentiles who enter. It's still in a museum, I think, in Greece or Turkey. And at five, we now enter into the court of the women. But even Jewish women during their menstruating years can only come here occasionally because of beliefs about blood and ritual purity. It's in this court, by the way, that Jesus later witnesses the widow so generously placing her last two coins in the temple treasury. Moving along at six, we now enter the court of the Israelites, an area restricted only to the ritually pure Jewish men. And beyond this is the court of the priests, which contains the main altar where animals and birds are sacrificed, like the two doves offered by Mary and Joseph after Jesus' birth. And then finally, and then finally, we get to number seven. Behind a great veil lies the Holy of Holies. Only one, one priest can enter this space every year. And remember, one of them is Zechariah the father of John the Baptist. You remember that story. And it's here in the Holy of Holies, at the center of this vast complex, that God's presence is believed to be most fully present. Now, in our second reading this morning, Paul talks about how in the message of the cross, God turns upside down and inside out the wisdom of our world. The world looks at Jesus on the cross and sees only a naked, bleeding loser crucified outside the city walls. But through the eyes of faith, Through the eyes of faith, we see Jesus taking upon himself everything, everything that separates us from God and opening up our access to God. And don't miss, dear friends, what happens in the temple in Matthew 27 when 
Our dear Savior dies on Calvary. What happens? The veil at the front of the Holy of Holies is torn open from top to bottom. Come. Come to me. Come to me. Jesus brings us through the court of the Gentiles. He brings us through the court of the women. He brings us through the court of the Israelites. He brings us through the court of the priests. And he welcomes us into the holy of holies of God's transforming presence. Through Jesus, we have all received free and unrestricted access to God. And not because of our worthiness, or our merit, or our goodness, or our purity, but because, and only because, of the lavish grace and mercy of God. In our two scripture readings today, we see Jesus turning upside down and inside out a religious system whose primary purpose has become to restrict rather than to encourage and to promote and to facilitate connection and access with God. And sadly, the history of the church, what has it been? But of often rebuilding many of the dividing walls that Jesus brought down. And in our Mennonite family right now, Are we focused right now on policing the outermost temple boundaries? Or on joining Jesus in guiding all people into the holy of holies of God's transforming presence? And tell me, dear friends, where does transformation really and actually take place? Does it take place in the far outside courtyards? Or does it take place when people come and draw near to the holy of holies of God's presence? Where are we transformed? This past year and a half... You've been telling me, story after story, about how East Chestnut has been for you a church of refuge. Ken Knoll told this to me before he he died. And how this church has helped you to connect with God for the very first time, or helped you to reconnect with God in some new way, especially after 
a very painful church experience somewhere else. And you've also shared with me how much you want East Chestnut to continue helping others here in this city to connect with God, to have access with God just as you have. And as our Mennonite church seems to be fragmenting and dividing over same-sex relationships, my prayer, my prayer is that East Chestnut can actually unite like never before around our long-time historical mission of connecting all people with God, no matter what. Our mission of guiding all people into the holy of holies of God's presence to be transformed by God's mercy, grace, and love. Amen.